It's good to see you here this morning. Um, my name is Christoph Ebbinghaus. I'm the minister here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Um, and there are some people here I don't recognize, so uh, you'll forgive me for uh, introducing myself, making sure that we, we know who each other are. I'm quite relieved always to get to this point in a service and to still be standing. Uh, there's a thing we have to do at the front here where We need to stand beside the screen to be able to see the words on the screen. But a couple of weeks I was worried about landing on top of the piano or the drum kit because it's uh, it's all quite tight up here. So it's uh, I noticed David using the handrail there and that uh, seemed like a good tip. We read from Revelation uh, this morning, but our passage uh, that we're actually going to be dwelling on is from the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew chapter 6 on page 970, if you're using those uh, church Bibles, uh, Matthew 6. We're following a series of studies in the Lord's Prayer, taking it one, almost a line at a time, or one petition at a time. And today we come to the petition, uh, or the request, where we say to our God, your kingdom come. So that's what we're thinking about here today. Page 970, if you want to see the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if this is something that uh, is happening because I've just turned 40, but I find myself quite nostalgic about uh, my life before uh, things away in the dim and dark past. And this week, when I was preparing for this sermon, I remembered a game that we used to play as kids. Um, We used to egg each other on to to greater and greater acts of daring, uh, usually things that we shouldn't be doing and things that we'd get in trouble for if we were caught. And the way we did it was quite simple. I dare you. If necessary, we'd raise the stakes from time to time to double dare you. And occasionally, but only very occasionally, uh, we were contemplating a crime so great that it required a triple dare to get somebody to, to take that step. There were heady days. The, the, you could feel the blood coursing through your veins, the, the heart pumping in your chest. I dare you. It's not a phrase we use very often in church. Can you imagine? I dare you to make a tray bake. I dare you to, to put that hymn book in the wrong place. But today we are going to use it here in church this morning. Because I'm going to dare myself and you to to pray this petition. The second petition of the Lord's Prayer. To pray it with, uh, with real urgency. Thy kingdom come. To get, to get a sense of how explosive a prayer like this might be. I, I thought it might be useful for us to think of a time when a community might have been praying that prayer and seen it answered in intangible ways right before their eyes. So I'm thinking, for example, of the Romanian Revolution of 1989. For decades at that point, Romania had been under the oppressive Ceausescu regime. Uh, If you know much about it, you'll know that the, the population were treated almost like slaves at that time. Anyone who spoke out against that corrupt dictator uh, would often disappear, sometimes even be murdered. But all that time, there were people in Romania praying the Lord's Prayer. 
they were praying this prayer. And they were coming to the living God and they were saying, Thy kingdom come. They were living under an entirely corrupt and unjust regime and kingdom, but they were addressing the living God, Thy kingdom come. In December of 1989, a, a protest broke out in the Romanian city of Timisoara. And if you remember how it went, the government had attempted to, to evict Laszlo Tokes, a Hungarian reformed pastor. He had been speaking out against their regime. He had been letting the people of Romania know more about their own human rights. But this pastor and his people, as they set about uh, what became a very courageous protest in which some of them lost their lives, they, they became the catalyst for a revolution that saw the overthrow of Ceausescu's regime and freedom for the Romanian people. It's no small thing to pray the Lord's Prayer, to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's probably the most radical thing we can do as human beings, to invite the life of God and the life of heaven to, to come and to, to fill our, our own life. When Jesus first gave this prayer and this petition, he, he gave it to his disciples. And I thought a good place to start would be to think, what did they hear by this talk about the kingdom of God? What would they have understood by the coming of the kingdom of God? Well, to answer that question, I want to think with you very quickly about how they viewed history. There's different ways of thinking about history. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to think about that. So in, in some cultures, we think of history sim simply as a series of events, uh, chance events, entirely unrelated. So history has no purposeful beginning. It has no purposeful end. And really, today, the present doesn't have any particular purpose either. It's just whatever happens, happens. That's a view of history. And I, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the... The, the average view in secular Britain today. There's a, another way in which other cultures view history is as a, as a cyclical thing, that history is made up of a series of, of, of cycles. So the spring, summer, autumn, winter is followed by spring, summer, autumn, winter. I don't know if that cycle holds true in Northern Ireland, by the way, but that, that cycle, and it just goes over and over again. And in this worldview, the, the way to, to live is to get in step with the endless rhythm, the endless rhythm of birth, life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, life, death. Just a, an endless cycle. So history, some people think, has no purpose or direction at all. Others say that it's a, a cycle just going round and round. But that's not how Jesus' disciples viewed history. It's not how a first century Jew thought of history. In the Hebrew view of things, history has a purpose. It's going in a particular direction. Maybe not always in a straight line, but history moves forward towards a meaningful purpose. And for them, that meaningful purpose was what? 
the kingdom of God. The establishment of God's kingdom is the goal of history. So what did this actually look like, this kingdom of God, this goal of history? Well, the first thing we say about it is it's not a geographical place. So it's not like the United Kingdom. It's not a discernible people group. So it's not the kingdom of the Scots, for example. The kingdom of God is simply a way of saying the sphere where God is king, where God's acting as king. And this is something that God's people have been longing for, for for generations, for centuries. They believed that God was going to come, that he was going to establish his rule, that he was going to do it through someone called the Messiah, and that he would do it on the day of the Lord, the Old Testament prophets talked about. It was a day when God was going to judge all human wickedness and evil, a day on which he'd wipe away every tear from every eye, when death and war, pain would end. So to talk about the kingdom of God is to talk about a brand new world order. Do you see now what Jesus is asking his disciples and and us to pray? He's encouraging us to pray that the thing that we read about in Revelation 11 will happen. That the kingdom of heaven will become the kingdom of our God and his Christ and that he'll reign forever and ever. We're asking God to make all things new. Whenever we pray this prayer, we're praying for the great revolution. We're asking for heaven to come and to invade earth. This prayer is not the only place where Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He he talked about the kingdom all the time. You'll not really understand Jesus' teaching if you don't begin to pay some attention to the kingdom of God. So in his early preaching in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? We've seen here what the kingdom of God meant in the Jewish worldview. But what did it mean for Jesus to come and say, "Well, well, it's near? Does Jesus mean that it's about to arrive? And if so, we should get ready? Does, it mean, does he mean it's actually arrived and, and we should grab hold of it and jump on board? You could read endless books about this, the availability, the, the presence of the kingdom of God. I believe that it's both of those things, that the kingdom is both something that's already arrived and something that we're still waiting for. It's already and it's not yet. And it's that at the same time. When you think about it, Jesus' life showed that the kingdom had already arrived. He showed us that the kingdom had arrived and he showed us what it was like. Jesus, think of some of those things he did. He gave sight to the blind. That's what happens when God's kingdom comes. He caused lame people to walk. Piles of crutches lying around when the kingdom arrives. He tells, he touches and cleans lepers, people that nobody else would touch. What kind of a king is this? 
He liberates people whose souls are troubled to have demon possession. This is what happens in the kingdom of God. He heals sick people. He befriends prostitutes. He calms storms and seas. He feeds thousands from a lunchbox. Jesus champions the powerless, and he stands in solidarity with the poor. This is the kingdom. This is what it looks like when the kingdom's already here. And if you think about that for a moment, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Jesus united people who were arch enemies. I don't know if you know this, but two of his, two of his disciples would by rights have been arch enemies. You have Simon the Zealot, who's a, an anti-Rome revolutionary, maybe even a paramilitary, hard to tell. And you have Matthew, the Roman tax collector, the collaborator with Rome. These two are arch enemies, but in Jesus' community, they become brothers and friends. In a male-dominated society, Jesus calls women into his company. He gives them dignity. He entrusts them with the very message of the gospel. This is the kingdom of God. Lives are changed in the kingdom. Whenever Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he challenges his sinfulness, and, and then Zacchaeus offers to pay his, uh, the, his victims back four times over. This is the kingdom of God. It changes people. It, Jesus filled people with his Holy Spirit. He raised people from the dead. He himself rose from the dead. So with Jesus, there's no doubt that the kingdom's already here. The already nature of the kingdom of God. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Friends, we call this series uh, 57 Words That Change the World because we believe that praying this prayer does change the world for those who pray it and for the world. Think about it for a second. If, if we really prayed this prayer, Lord, your kingdom come. If we prayed our way back into that life that Jesus lived, if we truly sought to see life changed for people around us the way he did, we'd commit ourselves to doing all that we can to see God's kingdom established. We'd notice the loneliness of people around us. And we'd give ourselves to serving them in their loneliness. We'd see the lack of purpose that many of our neighbors and young people in our society have. And we'd offer ourselves to, to be part of God's answer to that. Maybe we'd pay more attention to the injustice of the trafficking of women on the streets of Belfast and see how God's calling us to respond to that. Would see the hunger on the faces of children in the majority world and wouldn't rest until we knew that we were doing much to relieve that. This is what it means to pray, Thy kingdom come. 
It means to long for the reign of God to be established where we are. Jesus spoke about the kingdom having already arrived. And he demonstrated that in his actions. We've just thought about that. But he also spoke about the kingdom as something that was still to come. As well as being already, the kingdom is not yet. And we see that when he's at the, uh, the Lord's Supper. He's that first Lord's Supper in the upper room. He speaks to his disciples and he tells, you, tells them, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. Until the kingdom comes. So there's something about the kingdom that's not here yet. And this understanding makes sense of Jesus' teaching in the last days before his crucifixion. He taught his disciples to keep watch, to look out, to be ready for the time. So what's going on here? What's this about uh, a kingdom already here and a kingdom not yet here? In Jesus... God's kingdom is already here, but it's somehow not yet here. In Jesus, God's new world order is present in some form, but it's not yet present in the the final form that it'll take. So now we're getting to the heart of this, this second petition. How does this already not yet thing work? Well, we might say the kingdom of God is partially here, but not yet fully here. That's okay as far as it goes. But it's probably not the best way to think about this. A better way is to say that the already not yet nature of the kingdom is something to do with what we can see, what we can already see, and what we haven't yet seen. The good news is that that in Jesus, God's kingdom is fully here already. But it's not yet fully visible. And do you see what this means for us as followers of Jesus Christ this morning? It means that Jesus is here, fully. Jesus is here with us right now, right here. He's not here in only a half kind of a way. He's here in his full glory and splendor and power. And he will be when you go home. He'll be with you in the office or wherever you go on holiday or in the hospital ward. Jesus Christ is already fully here with us, but his presence is usually hidden from us somewhat. If God wanted, he could pull back the curtain at any point and we would we would fall on our knees in worship before him, would would dissolve in his presence and his greatness. For the time being, we only get glimpses of the king and his kingdom, but he's here, and he is the king over all. Friends, I think it's really important to understand this not yet nature of the kingdom of God. I think it's really important to understand all the ways in which the kingdom is already here. For some of us, we need a heightened sense of that, that God is with us powerfully. 
And for some of us, we need a heightened sense of the, the not yet-ness. It means we, we keep some perspective on what we should expect to see happen and even expect to be able to do in God's service. It means when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, for God to bring his kingdom on earth, we'll understand that this will only happen fully and finally when Jesus returns. In the meantime, we're going to strive to see that lonely people experience the love of God. We're going to work hard to see an end to the the trafficking in Belfast and the hunger throughout the world. We'll continue to long for a day when people can celebrate their diversity without taking to the streets and rioting. We'll pray, thy kingdom come. But all the while we'll remember that it's God's kingdom and that he will establish it and that he'll do it in the time when it purposes him to do it. Whenever we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying, asking God to do what only God can do. One day, God's going to do it. He is going to to bring heaven to earth. He's not whisking us away anywhere. I don't know if this is beginning to, to dawn on you. He's bringing it here. And he's going to show everyone on earth what's, what's always been true, what's true right now, that there's a crucified carpenter on the throne of the universe. That the one on whom they, they put a crown of thorns wears a crown now, but it's a crown that makes him king over all kings and queens, whether they've ever recognized him or not. Folks, the church isn't waiting for more than Jesus at the end of all things. The church is simply waiting to see Jesus in all his fullness of his beauty and his glory, to see him as he really is. Do you see now what it means to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? It means something like this. Living God, Show us what we can't see just now. Even before the great final day of the Lord, show us that you're really on the throne. If all this is true, if this is the prayer that Jesus wants us to pray and presumably that his Father wants to answer, then I think it begs a question. Certainly it does of me. Why... Have I not prayed this prayer more? I don't mean the Lord's Prayer, praying it in an assembly hall kind of environment. I'm talking about praying for the kingdom to come. Why have I not prayed that more? Maybe I haven't really understood that that's what God's all about. But maybe we don't want God's kingdom to come because we don't want to submit ourselves to a king. We're happy to have the goodies of living in the king's kingdom, but we don't really want his reign. Maybe we know that the coming of God's king 
and his rule will mean the end of, of our rule. And we don't really want that. Not in our lives or in the church or, or in the world. I started this morning by telling you about a game that we played when we were kids, I Dare You. A way of goading each other to greater and greater acts of courage and daring. Brothers and sisters, I I dare you this morning to pray this prayer. This is the best thing you can do for yourself and for our church and for the world. Will you make this the heartfelt prayer of your, your lifetime? Will you say to yourself, from now on, I'm going to be a person whose greatest desire is to see the kingdom come? To pray for an invasion of earth by heaven. Let's pray just now for God's kingdom to come in us and in our church. Let's pray. Father God, will you break through the resistance in my soul? Will you establish yourself as king in my life? Humble me. Forgive me. Clean me. Set me free. Restore me and give me courage to follow you. Come what may. Father God, we pray that your kingdom would come in this church. Make us a sign of the beautiful things that you're planning for this world. Lord, we'd love it if our neighbors and colleagues and friends who look at us would see how wonderful it is to be a part of your family. Jesus, do through us what you did when you walked on earth. Use us to heal the sick. Free the captives. Reconcile enemies and raise the dead to new life. Our Father, who art in heaven, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.